Hello and welcome to the Encounter Mercy podcast. I'm Vince Dragone. I have with me Father Andy Boyd, and I. We also have a, a special guest today, uh, AJ Gedney from Florence, Kentucky, who is a seminarian at St. Vincent's Seminary in Latrobe. How's it going, AJ? Guys, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks Good for coming on. Yeah. So why don't you Things tell? Well, why, yeah. uh, well, so why don't you tell us just a, a, a brief little bit about yourself? We're going to dive in. This pretty much this whole episode is going to be about you. But let's just, uh, you know, 30 seconds. Tell us about AJ. Yeah, I am a, a seminarian for the Diocese of Covington, Kentucky, um, which is the northern part, northern diocese in Kentucky. Um, I am in third theology at St. Vincent Seminary in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Um, in a past life, as an engineer as uh, I'll talk about later. Um, but I have a, a little under a year to my diaconate ordination and I'll be ordained about a year and a couple of months after that. Fantastic. So Father Andy, what's new with you? Well, you know, with this with this change in weather, it's been a constant 75, 80 degrees here it's in Meadville. Beautiful. Um, I, yeah, it's been great. And I thought I would do a little bit of gardening. And then, of course, you know, it's that also that perfect time for everything to start blooming. And then the past three days, I, I think I've just been medicating myself with allergy meds to the point where it's like, I, who are you people? Where am I? Because of this darn pollen. So I'm amazed right now. You know, I'm, I'm jinxing myself because uh, I feel pretty good right now. Could be all the pills I've been taking. But, you know, it's um, I'm just grateful that soon I'll be able to sit out on the deck, hopefully once everything blooms, and uh, just be able to enjoy this weather because I'm tired of sitting in the house. Yeah, I think we all are, especially after all these lockdowns and, and such. How about you, Vince? How, what's been going on with you? Uh, not a whole lot different. Um, been doing a lot more outside. Been doing some gardening. I, oh, I planted some hops because I make beer, so I planted right. hops for the first time. That's cool. Um, so we'll see if I kill them. I don't know. I planted them uh, right before the last frost, which was, you're supposed to wait till after the last frost is done, but I thought it was. So I planted them and then the next day it frosted. So I haven't seen them come out of the ground yet, but it's also a little too early for that. So we'll see. I I hope I get some because the two biggest cost drivers in home brewing are your hops and your yeast. And you can kind of control both of those by growing your own hops and then harvesting your own yeast off of beers that you've already made. So that's just one more step in trying to save money and also what kind of hops are you growing? So I'm growing centennial because you can use that in just about everything. Um, oh, cool. I thought about doing some like magnums or Chinook and stuff, but I was like, then I'll kind of be limited on the kind of beers that I can make with that. So centennial, I think I can be, it's a good backbone hop for just about any style of beer for the most part. I feel like our first episode or two, you had some really good beer. Yeah. That was the, that- uh, the lager versus the ale with the same recipe. So I, yeah, I, yeah I, I brewed 10 gallons of beer and then I lagered five gallons and then with lager yeast in cold temperatures. And then I, uh, pitched ale yeast in, in regular normal temperatures and then compared them side by side. And, uh, it was just crazy what just yeast and fermentation temperature will do to a beer. Cause they're totally different beers. Yeah. Same yeah. recipe. Same. I look forward, I look forward to trying this new beer. That oh, you I making. still found some of the ale stuff that I had. So, really? Yeah. In my, in my, I have a, uh, an old chest freezer that I turned into a kegerator. Homebrewers call it a keezer. And, uh, I forgot, I still have like three gallons in that keg. Um, oh. so, uh, it, I had to, I had the CO2 disconnected. So it, it lost a little bit of carbonation, but I'm 
carbon it back up and we'll, it tastes just as the same as it did six months ago. So, um, I don't know. I guess we'll, well hopefully once this, hopefully once this lockdown ends completely, you know, or whatever I can, we can get back to uh recording in your basement or maybe even outside, like we were talking about. And, uh, I can actually get some of that beer. Yeah. Well, I have an apple ale going on right now. It's going to be a lot better than red's apple ale for sure. It's going to be like legit. And then I got, and it's a, not the, obviously not the, what you're drinking now. So just so yeah, if anybody's this, watching the video, no, that's, that's red wine. <laughs> this is the first wine I ever made three years oh. ago. This is a, uh, uh, a Merlot that I made and, uh, I haven't had it in probably a year and because I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I just cracked it open tonight with dinner. Cause we had a good dinner that went, that would go with Merlot and it, it aged nicely over the last year. It's actually very enjoyable, enjoyable. Nice. It's funny so. you mentioned that you make wine because uh, one of my classmates here in the diocese, uh, he started brewing beer earlier this semester and he graduated from a one gallon kit to a five gallon kit and he just gave me his one gallon kit. So that's so, something I kind of want to try because so I mean, I have a, a chemical engineering background oh, um, and dude, I also you, very much enjoy beer. You can so geek I thought out. I'd, I'd just marry those two loves. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And you can take it as far as you want. You know, if you can really geek out into it and I consider myself... I'm not even like at the extreme, like you go in the home brewing forums and like people are like literally making everything that they use equipment wise and everything. Um, I'm not quite there cause I don't have the budget. Otherwise I would. Um, but I am working on an electric home brewery for the basement because it's cold eight months out of the year here and I hate doing it. In the we're we're going to, well, I understand yeah. well, We're going to have to have an episode just on beer. I think we're going to have yeah, to like definitely. just, I, but I'm, I'm hopefully cool we can do that around the campfire in the backyard. Yeah. Uh, campfire, beer, cigars, whiskey, you know, whatever. Sounds like a good night to me. Yeah. So, uh, AJ, why don't you tell us a little bit more uh, about how you ended up in the seminary? Because you're an yeah, engineer. You're, you're, so how, why would, yeah, why would anybody story, in their right your mind... Your vocation story is completely different than mine. Yeah. I, I just don't understand why anybody in their right mind would, would drop being an engineer, probably making buku bucks, lots of money. Uh, doing something really cool to going into the seminary. I mean, which is also yeah. cool, but this, you know, this is just from a generalization. Why would you even do that? Yeah. It's funny. Cause, um, uh, people will ask me, you know, Oh, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you end up trying to, to become a priest? Did you not like your job? And I always say, no, quite the opposite. Loved my job. Um, so, but my vocation story starts about a year before then. So, um, I just graduated college. Uh, I went to the University of Cincinnati uh, and I got my bachelor's in chemical engineering. And in that time, I did lots of co-ops. So I'm building my resume. I'm figuring out what industry do I want to work in? Um, you know, because I'd, I'd worked in like corporate, manufacturing, uh, research and development. And my most my last co-op that I did was in R&D uh, for a wire and cable manufacturer in Indianapolis. So I spent my last uh, co-op semester there, loved it. And then ended up getting a job there um, about the week after I graduated from college. They gave me a call saying, yep, we want you to come work for us. Uh, everything's set. And then so a couple of days later, I go to the ordination of a guy I went to high school with. And he was kind of the first priest I had known before he was a priest. Because, you know, I thought growing up how priests were made is you go to seminary and then out comes this like grumpy old man. <laughs> because those are like a lot of the priests I knew growing up. So I thought, oh, they just come out grumpy old men. But I knew I knew Eric in high school and I knew his family and, and I knew his brother. So it was cool seeing him kind of go through seminary. So go to his ordination, go to his first mass. And then the party after his first mass uh, was at his parents' house. 
And I sit down at a table, some food. There's Father Eric, a couple friends, and a seminarian. So the seminarian says, hi, I'm Joey. And immediately asks me, have you ever thought about going to seminary? And I try to give him the answer. You know, you give old church ladies, you know, when they say, oh, you should be a priest. Because I'd grown up doing things in church. And so they asked me that. So I just say, no, my plan is to be an engineer. So I tried to do that. And Joey didn't, he didn't, he didn't take the bait. So he's asked, he asks again, no, like, well, well, come on, like you're a Catholic, you're male, you're into your faith. Like, wh- why haven't you thought about seminary? And then, so he says, uh, you, you test out marriage by dating to see if you're meant to get married. So how could you test out priesthood if you don't go to seminary? And I thought, dang it, he's using logic. <laughs> like, that, oh, that makes sense. I can't run from that. This fits my image of Joey. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It just, he latches on and doesn't let go. So the party goes on and every time you'd see me, he like asked me again, like priesthood, what do you think? What do you think? So now eventually hours later, I'm helping the family clean up and he comes to me and he's like, okay, AJ, here's what you're going to do. You're going to find the vocation director on Facebook. You're going to friend him. You're going to get lunch with him. You're going to talk about seminary. At this point, I'm kind of fed up. So I think to myself, okay, what can I tell him to get him to let go? So I think, I think there's some reasons in my head of why I couldn't drop everything and go to seminary. Like I just graduated from college. I had student loans to pay back. Um, I was finally moving out of my parents' house. I signed a one-year apartment lease. I have a job doing what I want to do, where I want to do it. But when I, was, I, when I was about to give him one of these reasons, I hesitated and I thought, oh, he's going to tear me apart. Like, he's not going to buy any of this. And then I reflected and thought, are these reasons or excuses? So I end up, uh, I end up going, moving to Indianapolis, starting my job a couple months, and it's great. The projects I'm working on are fun. I love my coworkers. The pay is good. I joined a parish. Everything is great about living in Indianapolis. So I come home for a wedding and uh, of a high school friend. And I had known that she was very religious, very devout, even in high school. And people had known that she visited some uh, convents and religious orders. She was open to, to the celibate vocation. Um, but so she learns God, that's not God's will for her. And so she was, uh, she was, she was engaged. Well, in the homily, I learned that uh, the gentleman she was marrying had been in seminary and discerned out and discerned that God is calling him to marriage. So I thought to myself, wow, like they know what God wants for them because they asked him. And then like a lightning bolt came down and hit me. And I thought, oh no, like, I never asked God what I should do. Like high school and college is always, you know, oh, be an engineer, you know, build up your resume, increase your interviewing skills, get a job. And I never asked God like, well, do you want me to be an engineer? And then that priesthood question like resurfaced in my head. So at the reception at the wedding, I see a priest friend of mine who uh, was at the wedding and I'm waiting the last minute for him to leave because I thought, oh my gosh, I have to like ask him how to discern a vocation. But I was afraid if I told him with people around, he'd like pull out a cowbell and be like, hey, AJ wants to be a priest. Uh, so... <laughs> I asked him afterwards uh, when he's leaving. I said, "Like Father, like wh- what do I do?" I was at a loss for words. You know, I, just, I was kind of confused. And he said, uh, "Talk to a vocation director." So talk to uh, the the one here in Covington, or you can talk to the one in Indianapolis where you are. So I did that. So I scheduled a meeting with the vocations director for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and we had a couple of dinners. And he just answered all the questions I had because I had so many fears. You know. How do I quit my job? How do I move out of my apartment? What, my, what will my parents think? You know, who pays for seminary? How long does it take? Uh, one concern was, well, I didn't enter after high school. Did I do something wrong? Do I have to like 
go back to college. So he answered a lot of those questions. And then whenever I came back home to visit my parents, I'd meet with a vocation director for here. And again, just more questions answered. Uh, and so finally it came time that, well, I wanted to visit a seminary since I'd never been. So I go with a group of guys from here in Covington and we went to the, one of the seminaries that they sent to, which is uh, Josephinum in Columbus. Um, and it was, it was great because I met guys just like me, you know, guys had science backgrounds, guys who had engineering backgrounds. And I learned about you know, the program you get into if you already have a bachelor's, it's called pre-theology. So you just do your philosophy and then you hop in and do your four years of theology. Uh, and then, and then I, so I realized, you know what? I can go to seminary. I think this is something I can do. Cause again, like none of my coworkers know, uh, my parents are, are kind of still like trying to figure things out if they want me to do this or not. Uh, none of my friends know. And then, so I started applying, uh, to the diocese guys. I decided, well, I think I should come back home to Covington, uh, kind of where my faith was raised so I can give back that faith to the people. So then I visited, uh, St. Vincent in Latrobe where I currently go and, uh, Father Andy's alma mater. Um, and then it, it was just a really cool experience there because I met another priest friend of mine. Um, and I learned that he was doing ministry in the college, like he was doing campus ministry. And I thought that was really cool because at that time with my job in Indianapolis, I was super involved with my parish doing music ministry and youth ministry and young adult things. And I thought it was really neat that if I had the chance, I could go to seminary, improve myself as a person, and also like still minister and, and give to the community. Uh, so then I applied to St. Vincent uh, as well. And then so comes uh, crunch time. So it's, a, it's the day I'd have to put in my two weeks if I want to quit. And I haven't heard back from the Diocese of Covington yet. I'm talking to the, the priest who is going through my application. He, he says, things look great. You know, you've done everything. You've done all your testing. You get, you've given us all your documentation. He said, it looks pretty good. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Looks pretty good isn't definitive, of, <laughs> definitive enough for me to quit my engineering job. Especially like, as, yeah, as an white. engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like the world works differently here, you know, in, you know, in the engineering world, it's cut or dry, yes or no. So, but I, in hindsight, I realized that God was asking me to take a leap of faith. And, and, and I think that he, if I quit my job and it wasn't God's will that I become a priest, he wouldn't go like, ha ha ha, I made you quit your job. Like, good luck. Yeah. Now you're going to be homeless. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so, so I, I thought, well, if this is truly a good thing, then I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to wait another year. I'm going to do it now. Um, I can always come back to this company. You know, they would, you know, they said they'd keep a place open for me for a little bit. Um, I got the phone number of some hires, you know, high, guys who are higher up saying, well, if we're not here, I want you to work for me. So I had that, I had that security on that end that, well, if I didn't make a mistake somehow, I can come back. Um, but I remember putting my two weeks notice and then my last day on my job was a Friday. And then that Monday I went on a, um, the diocese seminary retreat. Um, and that, that was four years ago. And it's been, uh, it's been an awesome ride. Um, I remember in that for, even in the first semester, it was very rigorous, very difficult, but very fruitful. I remember talking to one of the spiritual directors on campus and I said, father, I, I, I'm concerned that I'm going to change so much in seminary that I'm going to get home to my friends and they're not going to like know who I am or recognize me. Like I'm afraid of this change. And he said, AJ, you are more AJ now than you were before you joined seminary. And you'll be even more AJ when you're ordained a priest. And I realized it's because I'm becoming who God created me to be. Like he may not, he may not have created me to, to be a, a dad or a biological father or to be a husband, but that he created me 
uh, for this life of celibacy, for the priesthood. And that the, the, the more I work on myself and on my flaws and the more that I grow in my relationship with him, the closer I get to that age that he created me to be. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's it in a nutshell. It's four years ago. Fantastic. And uh, whenever I tell like high schoolers a story, I always think like, boy, I'll give seminary a shot. And then the joke is like, well, it's been four years and it's still good. And then no one laughs, but that's how I usually end it. So, uh, well, before I forget, um, I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but you mentioned music ministry. So what instruments do you play? Uh, so um, piano, guitar, bass, nice drums. So anything that's involved in like a worship band or a rock band. And then I play a bunch of brass. I learned in high school and college. Cool. Yeah. I'm Did a- you do jazz? Didn't you say, or... Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, at UC, it was a part of the marching band. Um, we had a little jazz band, and so I played electric bass, and they got an upright bass, and I, I learned how to play that. Uh, Father and Andy, I, can you turn your mic up a little bit? Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I could also just eat it, too, if I need yeah, to. Yeah. Um, the I was just thinking about, because, you know, like, I miss playing my saxophone and all that, and I just, it, I would... I would never want to like tell anybody, Oh yeah, you, you'll never be able to have time to do your acti- uh, hobbies. Cause obviously like this podcast is truly a hobby. You know, it's, I'm not getting paid for it. It's, it's not a part of my parish work, but um, you know, it's, I still don't, I just don't take the time to pull out my saxophone and play it. And that's, I really probably should. Just gotta but do it. In any Saxophone's event. nice. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Anyway, I just, I'm just curious, but uh, going no, back, yeah. going back to um, when you've, when you were asking questions to the vocations director about like, so how do I leave my job? How do I handle uh, student loans and all this stuff? Like what were some of the answers that he gave you that convinced you that, yeah, I'm going to take the next step. Um, so I learned that with the diocese of Covington, if you enter into pre-theology again, so a guy's usually older, maybe he had a job for sure, a college degree that they'll foot the bill for your education. Right. So it's totally paid for. Even if you try it out for a year or two and leave, they'd still foot the bill. So that kind of gave me the freedom that, okay, I won't be incurring more debt um, because I did have student loans. Uh, but since I am again in higher education, they've deferred. Makes so sense. they'll, uh, they'll be, they'll be frozen until I graduate. And then I think like it happened in undergrad, I have like a six month grace period, things like that. So what would yeah. you say to like the guy that's in your shoes that was in your shoes, you know, four years ago that, you know, is in the workplace right now, and is thinking about going into the priesthood, but isn't quite sure, you know, should they take that leap of faith? Like, what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give to somebody that was in your position four years ago? Um, Do it now. Uh, Don't wait, because I I was reading books on vocation stories and priests and discernment, and I kept reading these stories of men, of priests that regretted not entering seminary earlier when they heard the call. So it's like, oh, I waited 10 years before I entered or like I waited this long. So I thought this is really a good thing. This is, if it's truly God's will and this is what we want for me, then I'm going to do it now. Um, and then that also like God is never outdone in his graciousness and his gratitude. So, you know, if money is going to be an issue, you're giving your life to him. He's going to give you so much more back um, so that, uh, you know, you're not going to regret quitting a job or, you know, giving up a paycheck because God's going to pour out so much grace on you. Um, but I know that's kind of hard to think about, you know, if you're working full time as an engineer, like finances, that's like something you think about a lot, you oh, know, yeah. paying taxes, uh, re- retirements and pensions and, and things like that. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Cause that was kind of at the top of my list when I was discerning, it's like, okay, who pays for this? You know, things like that. 
So the yeah, because it is it's another expense that and and as you said, having student loans, that's you know going into that and having to take on another expense and how is that going to work? I mean, yeah, it would be deferred, but in the same breath, it's like okay, let's just keep adding on more financial issues. Yep, <laughs> I'll be paying off student loans for the rest of my life. <laughs> Me too. But yeah, and it's one of those things too. Um, it was interesting talking to my parents about this because they're obviously very concerned about my, my, my debt and my loans. But for me is I just had this piece, like it'll be okay. You know, I'll make it work. I, I don't think God would, would punish me for having gone to college. Like right. here, I'm going to burden you with these loans. Like good luck. So like God is very gracious and I'm not, I'm not worried about paying off my loans. It'll happen. It might take a while, but it'll get done. Now uh, remind me, do you have any siblings? Yes, I have a, a younger sister, only younger sibling. Sister. When you told mom and dad that you were going to start in the seminary, what was their reaction? Uh, they were not supportive at first. Um, I, I, I think, as I've learned now, because now they're totally on board and they cannot be more supportive, um, which I'm immensely blessed for that. But I think in the beginning, it was just maybe a lack of knowledge. It was kind of scary and unknown. And bottom line, they wanted me to be happy. So to them, this radical change of life, this quitting of a secure job, um, they wanted to make sure that I wasn't making a decision that I'd regret. And rightfully so. So I had to do a little work to convince them. And then just like kind of how I rejected that initial call to my vocation to seminary, they had to wrestle with it too and make it their own. So yeah. I realized that because I thought, oh, what priest can I have them talk to? What book will like touch their heart that convince them? And I realized that it's between them and God. And that as much as I wanted to convince them, um, it, it would really just be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the, the main reason why I kind of asked that is because um, who I don't remember who I was talking to recently, but they were asking me about, you know, my, oh, it was, it was a young person in my parish who is uh, himself considering the seminary. And he's a junior in high school and he's thinking about entering the seminary. And um, he said, like, what happened when you told your parents? Same thing. You know, mom and dad were not supportive of it. And so it's, but it's the, um, as time goes on, like in our time in seminary, I think, uh, especially uh, once you get to major seminary and the fact that you were starting at St. Vincent's immediately, it's a completely different atmosphere than college seminary. But it was finally in those last four years of my seminary formation, um, the fraternity that we had at St. Vincent's and just everything with that experience, I think really changed my parents as well. So, you know, it's that, process. So if anybody's listening to this thinking, well, my parents already told me no, it doesn't, first off, it's, it's not their decision. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's yours. And then the second thing is, is that, um, they'll come around to it if it's God's will. Yeah. Once I, and I've heard it from many priests who had the same issue or the same problem that happened with them is once your parents see you happy, then it's right as rain. Um, yeah. and I see it now, especially my, you know, a lot of my friends, um, and peers are having are getting married and having kids is I realize I see how much they love their kids. And I realized it was that same love my parents had for me that they wanted, they wanted to prevent me. Vince, like you said, like, I don't know, all of a sudden I'm homeless in Indianapolis for some reason, like something went wrong. Uh, they're just trying to prevent that from happening. Yeah. yeah. What about your sister? Uh, sister, I think she was kind of indifferent at that time. Um, but I think also she had had a different kind of life path because she did one semester of college and then dropped out and entered the military Okay, with the help. My, my, my mom was on board 
But in both stories, my mom gets on board first before my dad. So That's I think accurate. Yeah, right. She was, um, yeah, she, but it worked out very well for her. But of course, at the beginning, she had to convince my mom and my dad. It's not like, well, what's going on? But it ended up being the right thing for her. So I think she kind of got where I was coming from because she had another like non-typical career path. Makes sense. So, uh, so you said you're coming up on being ordained a deacon, right? So transitional deacon. That's going to be next year? Yes, uh, March. So seeing as we've never covered this on the podcast ever before, I don't, at least I don't think, do you want to give us a kind of a, like a basic, like, okay, you enter seminary, or you're doing it from a little different, already having a bachelor's degree, but take us through the steps. Uh, and then like you become a deacon. So like, what does that even mean? And then how long until you become a priest? Uh, why don't you walk us through that real quick for, you know, those who, who, who don't know, like there was, you know, just yeah. before this, before we started talking, before we started recording, I was that, you know, there's, some, I was trying to, I was finding out so many different things about the seminary that I had no idea, especially like St. Vincent's. I didn't know that the college and the seminary were separate. I thought they were the same. So yeah, why don't you talk, uh, run us through, uh, you know, what it's like to be in seminary and how, how the, what the yeah. process is before they spit you out as a priest. Yeah. So, um, so if I would have entered after high school, I would enter four years of college or minor seminary. And then in there, you'd get a bachelor's in philosophy. So you take obviously philosophy classes, but also your gen eds, um, you know, math, science, literature, th- language, things like that. Now I, but I thought when I was entering, I thought, Ooh, I already have gen eds from college. Will those take? Because I wouldn't want to go to another four years of college. Um, so then they have a program called pre-theology. So that's two years and it's just philosophy. So usually I think most always your credits will transfer over. Uh, so they see that I've taken all my gen eds, my math, science, literature, language, things like that. So I did two years of philosophy and then the next four years, that's where everyone's on the same page. I'm going to stop, I'm gonna stop you there. Two years yeah. of philosophy. That was it. That was it. You just took philosophy, like a deep dive yes. into it. Wow. Yeah. Did, yes. you up, did you end up getting a degree in philosophy? No, I didn't. No, I didn't think so. So I guess that's the biggest difference is that, um, if you're coming in with a bachelor's degree, like, so, uh, AJ came in with the degree in, uh, 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 yeah. Chemical engineering. Thank you. My brain just completely evaporated. Um, the best so kind of engineering. Uh, a bachelor's degree. Whereas I started in college seminary and I got my bachelor's degree during that. And mine ended up being in philosophy, not by choice, but because it was the easiest at Gannon. So sure. um, AJ didn't finish with a bachelor's degree after two years in philosophy. It was just um, the prereqs, getting the prereqs out of the way and uh, then starting seminary. So yeah, but we have like the same my biggest class philosophy. My yeah, my biggest thing is like I try to like I'm trying to teach myself philosophy. <laughs> teach myself. I'm trying to use the internet to teach me philosophy, and like my eyes glaze glaze over after like ten minutes. I can't imagine doing two years of just like submersed in philosophy. It's amazing. I no, love ben, philosophy. I think it's beautiful. If I remember from a previous podcast, you're an engineer as well, right? So I'm not an engineer by education. I'm just in charge of engineers. Um. But, you know, I basically just, you know, I went through the leadership side of things just to be able to, okay. to get them through. So I understand concepts. I'm not an engineer, but. Uh, so maybe you'll have an easier time with philosophy because uh, those two years were uh, very rigorous. It was my cross to bear because here I'm in the engineering world, numbers, data, mm-hmm, yeah, uh, Microsoft Excel, black and white. And then philosophy is the gray in the middle. <laughs> I remember my first <laughs> yes. philosophy class, ancient philosophy, talking about Aristotle, Plato. 
and a college student raises her hand and she says, Professor, I have this idea about what we're talking about. Do you think Plato would agree with my idea? And he goes, mm, well, uh, uh. I'm like shaking in my desk saying, say yes or no. And he goes, yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, was, I was like going to lose my mind because I'm coming from, you know, engineering background where it's, you know, See, like, yes or no, this product work. I'm that like, guy. Yes or no. I'm that guy because, yeah, I'm always pushing my guys. Uh, hey, um, you know, can we just make this work? Can you kind of fudge this? And they're like, no, no, we can't. <laughs> can we just ballpark this? Like, yeah. no. One always equals two. You cannot get three out of it. It doesn't matter how hard you convince the one it's a two. That's so funny. Yeah. But anyway. It's, it's good because I, I see philosophy now as like another tool to look at the world. So I can look at it, um, you know, objectively as an engineer but then I can kind of like abstract and think about bigger pictures like humanity in general yes. or knowledge in general or the universe, or even you take a philosophy class called metaphysics. It's philosophy of being in existence. I think that's the most, um, uh, I, I find that the most fascinating out of all the different philosophy me too, disciplines. Me too. Uh, I'm not enough. I, I don't know. I don't even know enough to be dangerous. I just know enough that I know that I like it better than all the other ones. But anyway, I'm sorry to, to derail you there. So you took, so you deep dive two years in philosophy, which is just crazy. And then you go into the, the theology. So where do we yep. leave off? And then you become uh, a Yeah. So, yep. Four years of theology. Um, and then at the end of your third year, my diocese kind of is the last semester of your third year. But after your third year, ordained a deacon. So what's the difference then, between a transitional deacon and a permanent deacon? Uh, sacramentally, ontologically, nothing. So deacons in general, um, they can baptize, they can uh, proclaim the gospel, preach, um, and participate in the in the mass a little more, like the, at the altar. But the, the only important distinction is saying, well, one's going to go on to be a priest, whereas one could be already a married man with the family. He's going to stay at deacon, like that's his end goal. Whereas if you'd say, oh, my friend so and so is a transitional deacon, you'd say, oh, he's in seminary. And he's going to be a priest. Got it. Yeah, and the key there is the 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 word before deacon. It, it kind of defines it in and of itself. If anybody's questioning, sure, permanent, sure. yeah, definitely permanency. Yeah. So you know, I was a transitional deacon. As much as they kept trying to make me a permanent deacon for a year, I was a transitional <laughs> deacon. There was no way on God's green earth was I staying as a deacon. You know, because that's the other thing, and I, you might want to talk about this more, AJ. But when you are ordained a deacon. Um, if you are being ordained a deacon and you are not married, you have to promise celibacy immediately at that point. Celibacy, the definition of celibacy is that you will not get married. There's the key. There's It's its kind of important later on. But um, you're not going to get married, that you're going to remain celibate. And so, um, you know, if I was becoming a deacon and then I, I, at that point, I couldn't get married. So even if... If I got, you know, I, it, it's just not worth it. So no, I was never a permanent deacon. AJ will never be a permanent deacon. He will be a transitional. AJ, talk a little bit about the, um, what I always coined as the five steps of major seminary sacramentally. It's not even sacramental in some areas, like talking about candidacy and, and acolyte. Oh, yeah. And lector. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, back in the day, um, you know, way, you know, pre-Vatican II, there were all these like individual eight little steps up to priest. You know, ending with you know being ordained a subdeacon, deacon, priest. Um, so those are those are kind of formed into what we have now are um, these w what men are instituted into. 
Um, so candidacy, which my diocese has done first theology, um, it is an official recognition that this man is a candidate for the priesthood. Like he's done some studies. Um, and it's usually it's for us, it's within a mass, a public mass is you go up before the bishop, uh, you answer some questions. I can do an ordination in a sense, you know, I do, I do, I do, I do with the help of God. And then he's, he gives you a, a surplus, which is a vestment that goes over the cassock for mass for seminarians. That's for your diocese. Not every diocese does that, but it does. It, it harkens back to pre Vatican II uh, rituals, which are beautiful. And, but um, in any event, candidacy, you're, you're going and you're claiming to the world that you plan on doing this. Yep. Um, and then, so after that, in your uh, your first theology, you're instituted as a lector. Now, people ask me, oh, you know, the little old lady, you know, you know, uh, Marianne, you know, my aunt, well, she's a lector. It's like, um, <laughs> technically, so it's, you, pastors can give permission for people to be like extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, lectors, but it's kind of in the parish. Whereas for the seminarian, it's a universal thing that he could go anywhere and he technically would have precedence to read like, Oh, we have a seminarian here. He's a lector. Um, and again, and these ceremonies can be done, you know, liturgically in mass or in uh, liturgy of the hours. But for that one, you go in front of the Bishop, you kneel down and you hold a book of the, you hold a lectionary and he says a prayer, you answer some promises. Um, and then after that is acolyte. And this, this is like, this is like right below Deacon. You, you know, as far as a lay person can go, this is as much as they can do. So as an acolyte, I, I can serve at mass again, officially, um, you can distribute Holy communion. You can expose and repose the blessed sacrament for adoration. Um, and all of these steps get the seminarian closer to the altar. And there's one so more first, thing that you know, uh, there's one more thing an acolyte can do after mass. Oh, he can, uh, yeah. he can purify the vessels. So if you've seen that's the priest, kind of important. Or you can do that. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. in, in our parishes, mostly, we, we you don't see the acolyte do that. You you see the priest uh, putting the water in after communion into the chalice and cleaning out all of the vessels or the deacon if there's a deacon there. So as an acolyte, though, is when a man can start doing that. And that's a key distinction, too, as well. These are these are not open to um, women. These these minor orders, as they used to be called, but now ministries are meant for men studying to be priests. Hmm. Never do yep. that. And it's, it is very cool because the, um, the Vatican II documents that kind of spell out these things, uh, just talk about this process of, you know, a man is in the pews and now he can get closer to the, he can get closer to the altar. He's a lector and he gets even closer. You know, he can even uh, touch and distribute and expose the blessed sacrament. Um, and it's great because as you get closer, you can see more. You know, I've noticed that. I remember the first time I purified vessels um, at my assi summer assignment parish, the deacon was very gracious. He said, oh, you're an acolyte. Do you want to purify? I said, sure. I, I saw him do it a thousand times. And finally I get there and I was like, oh, wow, he made this look a lot easier. I'm like, where does the water go? Or like, when do I say the prayer? Uh, so then you get good at that. Um, so it kind of prepares you for these steps up to priesthood. And then after acolyte, what what's the... That's because we are an acolyte now, and you're getting ready, as you said, to become a transitional deacon. So what's the major difference there between acolyte and transitional deacon? So then a deacon, um, one thing, this is very technical, he's then an ordinary minister of Holy Communion. So he's not, it's not extraordinary. He is automatically always allowed, no matter what, he and the celebrant can distribute communion. 
Um, but then the deacon can start administering sacraments. You know, like I said, he can baptize, uh, he can witness vows at a marriage, um, and then he can preach at mass and he can proclaim the gospel. Yeah. And, and all of those things obviously um, come with permission from the pastor. You know, it's, it's all this canon law stuff. We need da- Father Dan Hoffman back on to talk about canon law, um, which I'm sure you're enjoying a lot, AJ. Uh, are, I, I did like it. You, you, I enjoyed it, honestly. See, I it's black it. and white. That's why he would like it. It's yes. very black and white. Yes. <laughs> yeah. do, do any yeah. of you guys listen to CNA Editor's Desk podcast? Off and on. It's really good. There's uh, basically the the two editors of uh, CNA uh, are uh, canon lawyers, and they they go back and forth on arguing points over uh, just like lawyers do. Any lawyers do, you know, arguing yeah. the different points of you know the law. They do the same thing, and it's really cool actually. But anyhow, yeah, yeah, and so with with the transitional deacon or permanent deacon with the ordination of a deacon is when we first see a transition in the indelible mark placed upon the soul. So like with uh, baptism, you receive an indelible mark. Well, at ordination, you receive a different indelible mark, and then it continues to grow from there. So as AJ will be ordained in less than a year now, how exciting. I know. <laughs> you'll be ordained a deacon, so you'll have an, a different indelible mark placed on you. And then uh, once you're ordained a priest, it, it continues to grow just like I am. It, I have a different indelible mark as well as a priest. So it's obviously nothing other than if I were wearing my clothes, my clericals. But of course, I, I'm, it was a relaxing day today other than the sniffles from the allergies. Um, you know, Other than that, there's no outward sign really showing that there's a change but it's something that God sees. And it's, it's important that we remember this. So after you're ordained a deacon, how long is it until you become a priest? It'll be about a year and two months. Um, yeah. So diaconate in my diocese is usually done the day before Palm Sunday. Uh, so then you have, your, you have a Holy Week as a deacon and you'll have a, an additional Holy Week the next year. Um, and then ordinations priestly ordinations happen around this time uh, in May. So we just had one um, a couple days ago on Saturday. Yeah. So it's kind of fascinating. Um, You know, in one way, it's good that you guys get two years as a deacon for the Easter vigil and stuff like that. Cause that's, that is really um, the deacon's role in the Easter vigil and all of the Triduum services is extremely important. And so having that experience as a deacon twice and then taking that into priesthood, is it really makes a big difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to sing the exalted. Yeah. 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 So what's so the, if, Oh, go ahead. Andy. Go ahead. No, no, no. I insist. I insist. No. Cause I, I'm about to, I, I'm just, I'm doing a transition point here. So if you got okay, something, I, I was essentially going to do the same thing. Oh, well, let's start with yours. What I was going to say is if, if someone, cause we already said, you already said, um, someone in your shoes was, uh, thinking about it, you would just say, go for it. You know, don't wait. What about, um, someone who is like, they're on the fence and they're about to pull the trigger and say, yeah, I'm going to do it. But they just, they're not a hundred percent on board because, you know, they're still, it's still not an easy thing. Right. So it's not a hundred percent easy. What kind of like encouragement other than just do it, um, would you suggest someone who has been now in seminary for four years, two years of major and headed off to get ordained here soon? 
It's funny. I just thought of the, the Shia LaBeouf meme, like, just do it. Do it. That's exactly what came to my mind. And it's, I know, it's, I, I can make it a little more nuanced than that. Um, I think one thing I'd tell people and that I'd read in some books and even encountered priests who felt this way is you'll never feel like you're completely ready to go to seminary. Right. It's like, oh, 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 no, no, no. I need to take care of this one sin. Oh, no, I need to, I need to incre- increase this part of my prayer life. Oh, I need to take care of this. Sure. There's some prep you can do, but one, you'll never feel like you're ready. And then two, that's the point of seminary is it's okay. You come in, uh, you know, with some spots on your soul. That's the point of seminary is to work on those, you know, to cultivate a love for the church and the sacraments. And so things that you have trouble with. Well, guess what? You might meet guys in seminary that have the same problems. And then so it's there that you can really work on it. Because um, I know you can discern outside of seminary, but it's just very difficult. So really the best place to do it is there. You're kind of cut off from the rest of the world you knew, and you're surrounded by guys who are doing the exact same thing. Uh, so to that guy who feels like he's just not ready, um, yeah, well, <laughs> no, one ever, no one will ever feel super intensely worthy or ready for seminary. but that's the point of it. And I would say if you, if you do, you're, you're probably prideful and that's probably something you yes. got to work on. Yeah. 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 I, I've always been told, you know, if you meet a if you meet a guy in seminary and he said, I am for sure, definitely going to become a priest, then he might not be a good candidate because the point is discernment, like constant discernment. Like for me, I try to wake up every day and I think, okay, God, are you still calling me to be a priest? Um, and at this point it's like, if you're not, you got to tell me soon. Um, but it's constantly just asking God and listening for the call. So yeah, like, totally. You're totally right. You know, there's not, there shouldn't be this pride, like, oh, I know God's will definitively. So what are the, what are the things that you're looking forward to once or if I should say you become a priest, which I have no doubt that you probably will be, but what are some things that you look forward to, you know, after that day comes, you know, you have your parish or you're, uh, you're doing what father Andy does as a, uh, provo- uh, I can never pronounce it. Parochial, Parochial vicar. vicar. Um, you know, what is it that y- you want to do there? That you like, um, you're I'm, really like any, like any, any major like accomplishments that you want to have, like you're going to be eager to make a change, to do something. What is it? I'm eager to serve the people um, and administer the sacraments. Cause I mean, on, on one side, I spend nine months of every year, 300 miles away from the people I know and love. So I love the summers here because I get to be with the people. Um, so, I, and that's why I'm ordained. You know, that's why I'll, I will be ordained. The priest is not ordained for himself. He's ordained for the people and for service of the people. Um, so I'm just really excited to administer the sacraments and, um, and to kind of translate all this theology that I've learned into language that will, that hopefully will touch people. Because as Father Andy will tell you, we learned some pretty high level stuff about the sacraments, Christology, scripture, sure. that if you just unload on someone in the pews, their head would explode. That would be so like, yeah, that would be like my wife, you know, whenever I first came back to the the faith through apologetics and me saying, you know, this is the reason why we do this. This is that. And she's like, ah, stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm really excited to, you know, kind of take all this knowledge, digest it, and then give it to people. Um in a way that they can kind of understand it. Cause I've learned some truly beautiful things about the faith uh, that I think every Catholic should know and appreciate. Um, there's that. And then, I mean, of course, celebrate the Holy mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that's that's so kind of unfathomable to me that I might I'll be able to do that one day. Um, and I think just also just draw people closer to God. Hopefully, um, that's kind of really all I want. I don't I don't need to be an incredible, amazing, famous priest. I just want to be a good priest. Well, I think you're already not that you're going to be. And I'm, I don't think we're incredibly uh, famous either, but uh, I think you have a job right here. If you're free, you can always find, we'll have uh, just like the, uh, what is it, Catholic stuff you should know, guys, they have two teams. Yeah, we should, we should, I, I definitely want to expand this and have more people, uh, not, not to diminish my workload because this is fun, but you know, just to have more, more interesting topics, more different types of conversations than just what father and Andy and I can do. Uh, this People can only a- listen to me for a little bit, you yeah. know, like I, they have to hear me on Sundays right now. Of course, they're stuck hearing me online every day, but yeah, uh, I, I'm already, at, I'm already at my limit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think we're going to have like, yeah, we should just end the show right now because everybody's sick of <laughs> so, uh, so I have an, I have an idea. I have an idea. So, uh, here, here's what I think you should do once you become a priest. So you've already mentioned you have an interest in home brewing. So you become really good at that. And then you start a ministry at your whatever parish that you're at and you get a bunch of guys and girls to learn how to make beer. And you guys do that on the weekends and stuff while you're, you know, while it's like a Bible study or whatever it is. And then you have good beer that you can drink and brew and also, you know, be able to form, you know, like just, you know, you bring people together. Uh, I think that's, I think that's something you should try to do. You being in the chemical industry engineer, you know, you, you can learn a whole lot about it and you can become like an expert in it uh, and really be able to teach people. It'd be really cool. I think Vince is yeah. looking for some more free beer. And then I'll come down <laughs> yeah, to Kentucky and we'll do that. I think that'd be cool. I have, I have a, a, a story about uh, my friend who made beer in the seminary. So, uh, so he cooks it in our little kitchen. Uh, he makes it, uh, ferments it in his room. It's bottled. It's good to go. Uh, but before we did, we had a deacon friend of ours, one of our uh, Dazison brothers. He came to our room and blessed the beer. But it was, it was a very seminarian thing. Oh, I mean, yeah. Father Andy will get this. So we're in my room, cassock, surplus. Here's my friend, cassock, surplus, stole, Beretta. He has the old book of blessings. He makes holy, he uh, blesses salt, make, makes the holy water, then uses that to bless the beer. And then we had the beer. How cool. That, that, yeah, it was, yeah, it was super I, neat because we thought, oh, wait, our friend's a deacon. He can bless things now. Let's have him do that. <laughs> yeah, and there is a, there's a real prayer for blessing of beer. It, it's, uh, it's a pretty like big bless deal. Bless this creature beer. Yep. It, it's something that the monastics were very much about because, well, they made beer. What else are you going to do? You sit around all day alone. You got to drink at some point. I mean, um, you know, not like we're doing now, but uh, – uh, well, when you, anyway. yeah, well, originally that, you know, that, that brew, <laughs> that beer was brewed for uh, sustenance because the lack of food. Uh, but, uh, well, I guess while we're on the topic, um, I'm going to need some help from probably the two of you, uh, to help name my home brewery oh. once I have it in, uh, set up and, you know, set up and running. So start to think about that. And any listeners out there, if you got any ideas, uh, toss them my way, I'm up for anything, whether it's punny or funny or serious or whatever. It's not going to be serious because we're never serious here. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I think we, I think we're going to wrap it up here. AJ, thanks for yeah. coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And, uh, I'm, I hope to have you on a future episode and actually you are going to be on a future episode, um, because 
Uh, we We're record all of our episodes ahead of time. Spoiler alert. Nothing's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll be on you know, a future episode soon. as well. Yes, soon. Yeah. So uh, we won't tell you when, but we, we will we will tell you that it will be soon. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, do you have anything else to say before we wrap it up? Uh, just uh, keep keep on going with your ministry. Because I know uh, I, when I've gotten the podcast, you know, Catholic podcast, that was like uh, really important to me. So I know you guys are reaching people. So just keep on with your ministry because I know you're going to touch people. Well, thanks. And we hope to have you on, you know, more often. Um, you keep the conversation going and you make it interesting. So, uh, you know, thanks, thanks. for coming on. See, he's and, the, he's the engineer. That's not like an engineer. So, you know, we're, a, we're in a good uh, place. Yeah. 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 You're the, you're like one of the personable engineers that, uh, you, there's not too many of those out there. There's Where's the outro out music? Roll, oh, roll yeah, the better, clip. Roll the clip going. for God's sakes. <laughs> uh, but you can find us on, uh, encountermercy.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I promise one of these days we're going to start updating our social media. It's kind of been a long time, Father Andy. Uh, so Yeah, we're not the best. No, not at all. Uh, so we're going to get going on that. But uh, uh, thanks for hey, listening. As long as we're in this uh, craziness, you know, masses every day on our website as well as uh, on Facebook. And uh, I'm working on Instagram, maybe Instagram soon, but Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, uh, a few different places, YouTube. And so. the music is over, so we're done. Oh, Bye, everybody. Bye.